good. So God is at work everywhere. Do you believe that? I wonder if we do. Do we believe that? So one of the things that, that we know is Paul certainly believed this. If you remember, last week we talked about this incredible encounter Paul has with God. You remember this? On this way to persecute other Christians, to persecute people, God shows up and shapes his life in incredible ways. You remember this? Yes? So you better believe that Paul believed that God was at, that, that Paul believed that God was at work everywhere. And this is one of the foundational things that we begin to see. So let me tell you a quick story. There's a, uh, there were some young men. Uh, so I'm back up a little bit. I have a friend who's a, a pastor in the Northwest and Pacific Northwest. And in, uh, in his town, they have a call-in radio show every Friday night from 11 to 12 p.m. for teenagers to call in. And so he goes to the radio, this Christian radio station, and he is part of the little group who answers these call-in phone calls, right, which is funny and crazy and all kinds of things, right? So he's there one night, and uh, there's somebody screening the calls. Smart, huh? Right? And so uh, this guy who screens the calls comes in and says, hey, um, I think you want to talk to these guys. I don't think you want to do it on the air, because... I'm not sure if everything is quite all right, but you probably want to talk to these guys. So during commercial, he goes out and he picks up the phone. He says, hey, you know, what's going on? And so they say, hey, we really need to meet with you. And he said, uh, you know, I don't know if that's a good idea. And they're like, no, we really need to meet with you. We, we, we met Jesus tonight. We really need to meet. And so something in his heart said, okay, I guess... I guess I'll do this. So he set up after the show, like at 1 a.m. at a Waffle House or something, you know, where the Holy Spirit truly moves. <laughs> He's like, okay, I'll, I'll meet you. I'll meet you there. So he shows up there. And then, so these three young men are sitting in this booth. And you could tell by the look on their face that they're petrified, right? And they have a giant Bible there. Not like a big Bible you might carry around, like the kind that you put in church services, right? A big giant thing. And they've got that on the table at Waffle House, probably syrup all over it, right? And they've got it sitting there. And so he walks up and he says, uh, you know, it introduces himself and he says, you must be the guys. And he said, what's going on? They said, well, Here's the deal. We were at this rave, this dance thing, and we were all on ecstasy. Okay, so that's just telling you what they said. And, and when we were there, we all looked around the room. Each of us had this experience. We looked around the room, and all we could see were demons. And so we were scared out of our minds. So we just ran out. And as we were running out, we kind of bumped into each other. We were, walk, we were going through the door at the exact same time. And as we were going through the door, we heard this voice that said, it's okay, I'm Jesus, you're with me now. And so they, that scared them even more, and so they didn't know what to do, so they knew that one of these guys' aunts had a Bible at her house, because she was Catholic, and they knew that she knew something about Jesus. So this is like 11.30 at night, <laughs> and they can go knock on her door and wake her up, and they take her Bible, <laughs> and then they called him, and so they show up there, so he says, okay, um, so you tell me this story, so what can I do for you? And they said, well, who's Jesus? <laughs> like they really had no idea who Jesus was. They had no idea anything about him. That wasn't part of their life, right? So we have this, this is one little example, but the truth is God is at work everywhere. God is at work in places we can name. God is at work in places we don't see. And so as we go back to the text, I want to give you, I want to jump in here. Paul's waiting for them in Athens. So a few things about Athens if you don't know this. During this time, 
Athens is the center of, of intellect for the Roman Empire. Now, Rome is important, but, but Athens is still left over from its days as, as the center of Greek thought. It's still kind of the center of what's all happening. And so part of, what's ha- part of what they worship there, of course, are all the gods. And if you know anything about mythology and all those things, anybody, anybody know any about, about that stuff, right? So you've read some books or when you were a kid or you watched uh, Percy Jackson or whatever, right? So the kids got that. Anyway, um, so there are 12 main gods that they basically served. And they talked about those all the time in Athens. And then there's another god that they also talk about quite often. It's not really a God that they have a statue to. It's not really a God they worship. But when things would happen that they couldn't explain with any of the other gods, they would say that this God did it. And they called him Agnostus Theos, the unknown God. Okay, So this is in Athens. This is where Paul is. And so, what he, as you can see, he's deeply troubled by all the idols, right? He's troubled by all this worship to all these other things. And then it says he went to the synagogue to reason with the Jews and the God-fearing Gentiles. That's normally what he would do. He would go, that was his kind of MO. He would go to a new place. The first thing he would do is find people who worshiped the one true God. And in this case, most of them were Jews. And he would have a conversation with them about Jesus. And then it says, he spoke daily in the public square. Now, this is just want to point this out really quickly. Public square is where everybody went. The every man went, okay? So the people, so one of the lessons here, Paul, God eventually does put Paul in front of kings and all these other people. But one of the lessons I think here is just that part of us as those who might be following Jesus, part of the people we need to have conversations with, we need to not be so worried about changing the whole entire country tomorrow. But maybe what we need to worry about is just the people right in front of us. You with me on that? Like the people that God puts in your path. Maybe the people in this room, the people you'll talk to at the grocery store, the people that you work with. So Paul starts all of these conversations with everyday people. And so he begins this conversation. And so uh, then he has this debate. And now I know you guys uh, talk about and read about philosophy all the time, so you probably already know what Epicureans and Stoics believe. But just in case you don't remember, uh, the Epicureans basically believe that they're just materialists, that basically that there was a rainstorm of atoms that came to Earth, and just by chance, humanity began, okay? And so because of that, because there's no real afterlife, there's nothing else, just what we have is right, what's right here, then they believe that whatever you want to do, you can do. So it doesn't matter. Just seek out your own desires. That's what's most important. Okay? Just, while you're here on earth, forget everybody else. It doesn't really matter. Just do what you want to do. Right? Whatever you want, do it. That was kind of their, their approach. And then the Stoics were kind of the opposite side of that. They believed that none of this mattered, and so they were really apathetic. Like their ultimate goal, the ultimate way you could be stoic was, was that you wouldn't care about anything. You would have no passion in your life whatsoever. It's sort of like, meh. <laughs> That's like, that would be their perfect motto. Meh. Right? So they just didn't care about anything. So Paul's debating with them, and they both believe that all there is is this life. And so Paul's talking about the res- resurrection of the dead. And they're like, what the, right? They just, they, they don't understand it at all. And so they're really confused and they, they think he might be talking about these other gods. So the story goes on. They took him to the high council. Now, 
Well, I want you to catch in this story. This is really important. The high council is, uh, in some versions, this is translated as the Areopagus. and the King James, it's talked about Mars Hill. It's this place, basically the way to think about it is it's sort of the supreme court of, of Greek thought. And it had been started 700 years before this, so a long time before this conversation happens. And what their main job there at the highest court was just to decide Are the gods you're talking about worth talking about? And are the beliefs you're attributing to these gods, are they worthy of of these gods, basically? So which beliefs are permissible to talk about? That's basically what they were deciding. And so they bring him to the highest court. This is not a small deal. This is a really big deal. Like imagine tomorrow somebody calls you and says, I need you to talk to the Supreme Court about Jesus, right? That's kind of, it's a really big, humongous deal. So he gets thrust into this environment, and they say, come and tell us about this teaching, saying some strange things, and we want to know about those things, again, because they're talking about them. So Paul's standing before them, and he addresses them as follows. Men of Athens, I notice you're religious in every way, for as I was walking along, I saw your many shrines, And one of your altars had this inscription to an unknown God, Agnostos Theos. This is the God whom you worship without knowing. This is the one I'm telling you about. Now, here's what I want to get to. Here's what I think is really important. Paul starts this conversation with all of these people who do not believe in the one true God, who worship other gods. He starts with their culture. He starts with where they are. He starts with the things that are in front of them. Right, you tracking along with me? He starts with something they would understand, with language they get. He starts with where they are. And then the, the story goes on. He is the God who made the world and everything in it. Since he is Lord of heaven and earth, he doesn't live in man-made temples. And human hands can't serve his needs, for he has no needs. He himself gives life and breath to everything, and he satisfies every need. Listen to this. Nine times you can go through this whole passage. We won't go through all nine because we don't have time. But nine times... Paul starts with their culture and then brings it around to use some biblical language, some biblical ideas. But you'll notice he never once quotes the Bible. He doesn't throw the Bible at them. He doesn't say, hey, you're wrong, you're a sinner, you're going to hell, now be like me. Right? He never says that. In fact, he engages them where they're at in a language they would understand. So this is a great example right here. He says, since he is the Lord of heaven and earth, he doesn't live in man-made temples. The, the Parthenon, how many of you have seen the Parthenon? At least a picture, you know what it looks like? It's like the famous temple on top of Marshall. It's really beautiful. It's where all of this would have happened. It's like the spot where all the worship of these gods would happen. And they also said that it is the most beautiful and perfect building on the planet. That's one of the things they said. Paul says, well, I want to tell you about a God who doesn't live in a place, in a temple like this, right? So he's starting with what they know, but he's bringing in these ideas, of course, we see from uh, Scripture. From one man, he created all the nations throughout the whole earth. He decided beforehand when they should rise and fall. He determined their boundaries. His purpose was for the nations to seek after him, perhaps feel their way toward him and find him, though he's not far from any of us. Now check this out, it says, for in him we live and move and exist. That's a quote from one of their philosophers, Epicurus, uh, one, of their, one of their main philosophers. So this is somebody that they would have quoted all the time. Everybody in that room would have known that was a quote. Every single person. 
And this is a little line. It's sort of like in our culture, it'd be like quoting Taylor Swift, okay? Like everybody, okay, don't pretend like you don't know Taylor Swift. I know you all do. Shake it off, shake, right? Okay, anyway, so right? it'd be like quoting that in a sermon. Like he was saying that, they all would have immediately understood, oh, that's who he's talking about. By the way, Epimenides, the, the philosopher he's quoting here, is not a godly person. He's not after Jesus. He's not trying to pursue, he's just one of their philosophers, again, like a popular music. And then he quotes another one. Some of your own poets have said, we are his offspring. This is Aratus. And so this is another philosopher. Again, he's starting with things that they would understand, finding truth in the midst of those things and pointing people to something bigger. This is part of the challenge for those of us who live today, yes? How many of you have cell phones? Raise your hand, okay. Okay, if you're not raising your hand, you're lying. Okay, okay, you have a cell phone. Did Jesus ever use a cell phone? No, so are you not like Jesus because you use a cell phone? How many of you wear shoes and not sandals every day? Okay, probably, most of us, right? Jesus probably wore sandals every day. We don't really know, there's no picture, but, but are we not like Jesus? Because of course, that's, the point is, we're in the midst of this culture and this place and this time, and one of the questions we have to ask is, how do we live like Jesus in this place? And part of the ways that I'm trying to articulate today that I think the text tells us and begins to show us is that we have to start where people are. Now, I want you to hear his prayer, but I'm back up to verse 27. His purpose was for the nations to seek after God perhaps feel their way toward him and find him, though he is not far from any of us. Part of what Paul's trying to articulate here is this desire in God's part for relationship with us. But this desire is that God loves us so much that he's willing to come to where we are. Are you with me? Turn to your neighbor and say, God has come to where you're at. Go ahead, say it with feeling. <laughs> All right, so God comes to where we are, and he's trying to say, look, God wants you so much. And then he goes on, God overlooked people's ignorance about these things in earlier times. Now he commands everyone, every, everyone everywhere to repent of their sins and turn to him. That word repent, now we talk about it sometimes, if you grew up in church, sometimes we talk about it as like a 180 going the opposite direction. That's mostly true, but really what that, the root of that word means is to turn your head, to turn your gaze in the right direction. And of course we know if we turn our head then our body follows, right? Or we're in trouble. <laughs> so God, what he's after is, look, you're after some things that are true and good, but maybe you don't always know where it is. And what God's desire is for this relationship so that we would turn our gaze to the right direction, to the whole of the truth that is there. And then he goes, um, then he goes on, for he has set a day for judging the world with justice by the man he has appointed. And he proved to everyone this by raising him from the dead. God desires relationship so much with us that he was willing to enter into the lowest part of humanity, the, the biggest chasm we could imagine between us and God, death, and overcome it, right? This is part of what Paul is getting at in the midst of all this conversation. Okay, so so what? Let me, let me talk about some takeaways here that I think are important. Number one, engage ideas. <laughs> Even if you think you do not agree. I was talking to somebody just this week and they said these words to me, Brian, I don't watch or read anything that I don't agree with. 
Now, that's a problem, I think, for a lot of reasons. <laughs> but here's the thing. I understand for some people there's a hesitancy to engage culture because they don't want to step in temptation. I appreciate that. But I also think it's really important, and I think the gospels model for us time and time again that we actually know the culture and the place where we live in. So there are four gospels, as we call them, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the very first part of the New Testament. All of them talk about who? Jesus. Come on, this is just time for your Sunday school answer. All of them talk about who? Yes, good job. Okay, they all talk about Jesus. Are they all the exact same? No, they're different. Why? Because they all have a different audience. So Matthew's written to Jews. Mark's probably aiming more towards the Romans who are get-or-done-or people, so it's the shortest book. Luke is written to Gentiles, and so those are just people. And so he talks about stories, explains things a lot more than he did in Matthew. And, and then John is written probably to the Greeks. He actually uses, in the beginning was the logos, the word, and he uses a Greek word there, right? So those gospels model for us, and lots of other places, this need for us to actually know the culture we're in so that we can engage it. Um, the second thing is to look for truth. Look for truth. And name it. Name it where you see it. Name it where it is. So one of the things that I want to encourage you to do as you begin to engage this world that we live in is look for places where you can see good things in people's lives. Uh, a good friend of, of my family's um, he has an organization in Kansas City called Youth Front, and it's been around for a long, 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 long time. And they've lived in this neighborhood for so long. When they first built there, it was a cool neighborhood, and then it was a really bad and terrible neighborhood. And now things have kind of come back with gentrification. Now it's a cool neighborhood again. That's how long they've been there, right? And so they're there, and in the midst of this, they've been thinking about building a new building and doing some new things, and... and uh, this company comes to them and says, we want to buy your building and we want to take it over because we want to make it into this beautiful thing, this gentrified and this really, okay. And so they say, well, I tell you what, let's have a conversation about this. Instead of just you buying it and us moving somewhere else, what if we figure out a way to partner with this space? And so they sit down and they start having these conversations. And this young man who's kind of in charge of this project, he says, look, here's what I'm imagining. I would love to, for us to be able to put a beautiful space where people could come, a park with a running stream and do all these kind of, and I wonder if we could, is there a way we could do this on your property? And so my friend, who's a lover of Jesus, says, you know, he says, you know, Jesus cared a lot about creation. And Jesus cared a lot about beauty. And Jesus cared a lot about creating spaces where people could come together. And so I just want you to know when you talk like that, when you get excited about that, you remind me a lot of Jesus. And this guy who is not a Christian at all, he was just blown away. He's like, what did you just say to me? And he said, well, I just, I think you remind me a lot of Jesus. And this guy starts tearing up. He said, nobody has ever said I've been anything like Jesus before in my entire life. And this begins this conversation, right, where he can begin, just because he saw something true and good in this young man's life and named it. I wonder what it'd be like for us if we started to look for places of truth and all kinds of weird and amazing places where we just engage the world and look for truth. Sometimes, I don't know about you, God puts me in situations that if I'm honest, I don't want to be in. Yes? Okay, don't pretend like you haven't been there. <laughs> 
But sometimes instead of just pouting about it, I wonder if maybe if I had the eyes to see. Are you with me here? To say, God, what are you doing here? What's true? What's good in the midst of this, even though I may not love it? What could I see? If God might begin to reveal some things to us about places where he's already at work. Number th- oh, Guardians of the Galaxy. How many of you have seen this movie? Okay, lots of you have. Okay, this is a great example, just a little example. It's a story about everyone's desire to fit in and belong. Do you know that? Like, have you seen the movie? That's what the movie's all about. Does the Bible talk to anything about fitting in and belonging? Say yes. Turn to your neighbor and say yes. Okay, absolutely it does, right? So this could be a great example of a conversation you could have with people. All right, so there's a great quote from a book. Uh, I can't remember the author's name or I'd tell you, but it's a great line. (laughs) We need to be like detectives looking for the fingerprints of God on all of life. Right? Isn't that great? So this idea that we're always looking for where God is at work, for his touch, for his movements in people's lives, and just naming that as true and good. Number three, address culture. And language they understand using biblical ideas. There's a, a missionary I know uh, who went to the Middle East and he was in a very Muslim country trying to, trying to tell people about Jesus. He'd been there about six months. Almost no traction whatsoever. Lots of difficulties Um, We've probably heard those stories before, having all these problems. And so he had uh, written back to his mission agency and said, we need more people on the ground here because so much of what we have to do is relationship work and there's only my wife and I, we really need some more people. And so they sent him someone. He was very excited. And then the person showed up. (laughs) His name was Christoph. And Christoph was like this, uh, I think he was raised in a commune. I'm not joking when I say that. I really think he was raised in a commune. And so he's like this hippie California surfer guy. And like whatever your stereotype is, that's exactly what he looked like. Blonde hair, scraggly, makes his own clothes, you know, that kind of a person. And he talks like this, man. What's going on, man? And so he shows up, and they're like, oh, good, you're here. Um, <laughs> wow. Um, okay. So they give him a little bit of training, and they basically say this, okay, just go to the cafes, just go around and just see if you can meet some people and have a relationship. They honestly kind of were trying to get him out of the way, okay? So they just said, go have some, and, and by the way, don't talk about Jesus, because you'll probably get killed and get us killed, so don't say anything about Jesus. So Christoph goes, goes out. Two days later, he comes back. Um, hey, man. Hey, how's it going? Uh, how's, it, how's it going making relationships? Oh, really good. Um, I need you to meet, me, meet this guy with me at 2 o'clock today. What did you do? <laughs> um, yeah, I w- didn't mean to. I'm, I'm really sorry. I was talking to this guy in this cafe. He saw that I was American, you know, because, like, I'm white. And, uh, and he's like, and so he started asking me what I'm doing here. And I said, I just came to make friends with people, and I wanted to be nice. And... I didn't say anything about Jesus. And then he asked me, he said, why would you come here? What kind of care for other people would you have? And he said, I couldn't help it. I said it. I said, well, it's because I like Jesus. And <laughs> he really does talk like that. And so, so the missionary is like, oh, okay. And he said, no, no, no. The guy was excited. The guy said, who's Jesus? And I said, I can't tell you anymore. <laughs> He said, but if you come back at two, I'll introduce you to my other friend. So, 
So this guy, this missionary, and this Christoph show up. And so he meets Omar, and Omar is a really prominent businessman in this community. He has a huge business, a huge company. And uh, Omar says, um, if you know anything about Middle Eastern culture, they're very big on hospitality and, and things like this. But Omar skips almost all of that. He just says, okay, what's your name? And then they sit down, and he says, tell me about Jesus. He's like, uh, um, well, what do you, you know? And he starts, he said, well, do you know, do you read the Quran? And he said, of course I read the Quran. What do you, of course I read the Quran. Who's Jesus? And he said, well, do you know Isa from the Quran? Oh, yes, I know. Isa is Jesus. Oh, Isa. Oh, oh. Well, tell me about why would Isa send this Christoph? Why would he send him here? He said, well, I tell you what, let's have a, let's, let's meet and have some more conversations. And so, once a week for almost a year, they begin to meet. And so they start with culture. So they start with the Quran. I don't know if you've ever read the Quran, but it does talk about Jesus. And it starts with the Quran. They start with the Quran. And many of the stories in the Quran are actually also in the Bible, but they're a lot shorter and they're not as complete. And so they start with some of these stories from the Quran. And, and this missionary brings along his Bible, and he says, well, you know, like, for example, the story of Noah. You know, that story ends in the Quran right there, but in my Bible, it actually keeps going. And so they start having these conversations about the Bible and all these things. And so after a year, um, Omar is just asking questions every time, just taking notes, asking, 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 asking. And finally, so after a year, Omar says, um, I'm going to throw a party, and you need to come. He said, okay, I'm inviting my entire company to my house. I'm going to have a party. You need to show up. Okay, we'll be there. So they show up at this party, and they get there in this, again, this guy is very wealthy. He's a businessman. He owns this huge company. So they get there, and there's this big banquet hall. And so they walk in, and they're kind of standing there, standing around. And then what they, other people start to come in, and what they begin to realize is uh, some people are standing against the wall. And these are all the like the the custodians in his company and the administrative assistants and the very low-level people. And then there's a table there, and then all the high-ups in the company, they come and they come and sit down at the table. Right? They sit down, and all the kind of lower-level people are standing up. And finally, Omar comes in the room. He walk, marches in, and he looks around, and he says, I'm glad you're all here today. He said, I want you to know that my life is different now, and I'm going to do things differently. And he says, one of the things that I've learned is that that and he points to the missionary. He says, my friend told me, blessed are the meek. <laughs> and my friend's like, the missionary's like, oh, no, I'm going to die. <laughs> and he said, and my friend told me that we should love our neighbor, love others just like we love ourselves. And he says, as I look around this room, he said, I want you to know. And he points to the people standing against the wall. And he says, you people, he said, I'm going to give you every opportunity you can to make it as high up in this company as you want. Because you do this. You care about others. And then he points to the people at the table. These are people like on his board. and right? He points to them and says, and you. <laughs> My missionary is like, you know. He says, you. You, most of you are selfish and you don't care about others. And he said, most of you I don't want around anymore. Okay? Now. He's preaching, right? <laughs> He's basically saying all of these biblical ideas to these people. And this begins this transformational moment in Omar's life where he comes to faith in Jesus and Isa, right? Why? Because this missionary and this simple man, Christoph, started with 
culture, right where they were. He began to address them where they were and their place and their time. He didn't throw a Bible at them. <laughs> he didn't talk to, about Jesus at first uh, with them. But they began this conversation about what it means to look for truth. And if you believe that God is everywhere, if you believe that all truth is God's truth, then we shouldn't be afraid of these conversations, amen? We shouldn't be afraid of these kinds of words and conversations we might have. And then the last one is, and I think this one's really important, is that we need to commit to knowing scripture so that we can discern what is true and what isn't. So that when we get to those places that we may not throw the Bible at people, but we can pepper our conversations with phrases and ideas from the Bible so that people, when they do finally maybe pick it up, they can begin to see, oh, what you're talking about is actually true and it's grounded somewhere, somewhere bigger than us. Okay, so as we kind of move into this engaging culture, here's the last thing I want to say, and this is really important. I think that it's important that we don't do it alone. It's not on the screen, but I just want to say it out loud. If we believe that God's at work everywhere, part of what we, I think our challenge is, is that we go with other people and that we begin to engage this world that we live in and we seek truth wherever we can find it. Some of us in this room, I'm just going to name some things. Some of us in this room are believe those words, but maybe in our life we're not so sure it's true. Because some of us have family members, and I'm, I count myself in this group, who I've been praying for for a long time. And I say, God, where are you at work? And sometimes we don't see it and we don't feel it. But I'm going to say today that we have to trust that God is faithful and that he is working. Amen. And for some of us in this room, maybe we're in the midst of a really tough season, and we say, I don't know, God, if you're really at work, but can I, just, can I say to you, God is at work. And part of what we stand together and do together, and this is why it's important we don't do it alone, is that we affirm with one another that God is at work. And sometimes we need our friend, our neighbor, to point out our own life and say, you know, God is at work right there. We need some others sometimes to point out God's fingerprints on our lives. Let's pray together and then we'll watch a video. God, thank you for this day, for what you have given us for the opportunities you've given us to see truth in, in the world around us. Thank you that you're the kind of God who's at work everywhere. That you love everyone so much that you want to bring them into this right and perfect and beautiful relationship with you. As we begin to live out this, as we begin to look for truth everywhere, give us wisdom beyond ourselves to speak well for you and the things of you to point people to truth. God, for those of us who might be in a season where we're not sure where you're at work, I pray that you would remind us in our spirit and in our heart right now in this moment that you're calling us to engage the world around us, trusting that you're already there at work. pray these things in Jesus' name.